Hello and welcome to the TSET Better Health Podcast. This is James Tyree, Health Communication Consultant here at TSET. I'm here with uh, Kate Howell of TSET Health Communication. Kate, how are you doing today? I am doing much better now that the spring 2020 semester is over. How are you doing, James? Doing pretty well, too. It's been, it's been a busy stretch, but hanging in there and feeling pretty good. Uh, so congratulations on surviving the semester. I know that you worked hard in it, that's for sure. Thanks, I was really lucky. Um, had lots of resources and lots of cool professors and I think I did okay, but dang, it was really hard. <laughs> so. <laughs> I hear you. Well, you survived, so way to go, way to go. And you know, on top of everything else, you know, on top of work, on top of school and regular stuff that we deal with, there's also the pandemic going on. You know, COVID-19, sheltering in place that has really upended things as well, you know? Yeah, it's at the forefront of everyone's mind on top of everything else that's going on. Exactly. Well, here at TSET, uh, we are cognizant of that. You know, people are... They're at home a lot more. Their kids are, are home. They've been doing school at home, work at home, things like that. And I wanted to tell people about new resources on Shape Your Future called COVID-19 Healthy Tools. You go to shapeyourfutureok.com, and it's easy to find, and it has a number of great resources that offers healthy meal planning, but the meals are tasty and delicious, so the kids will also like them, uh, how to stay physically active while sheltering in place. It has downloadable activities for kids. There is a lot of really great stuff in terms of nutrition and physical activity during this time that is so, so different. So again, go to shapeyourfutureok.com. Check it out, Kate. I think you'll like it, too. I am, too. I'm going to use a couple of those recipes. <laughs> it's definitely been hard, like, staying motivated and finding creative ways to keep active, physically active while at home. Um, mm-hmm. So I really like that they have all these cool things that you can do just solo from a safe distance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's been a lot of misinformation about tobacco use and COVID-19. There have been some lots, just lots of confusion. There's been conflicting studies, but just, just recently, either today or yesterday, actually, I believe it was yesterday, the WHO World Health Organization released a statement definitively saying that, quote, um, a review of studies by public health experts convened by the WHO on April 29th found that smokers are more likely to develop severe disease with COVID-19 compared to non-smokers. So we have like an official ruling on that. And another s- group of universities and institutions came out just recently too, saying that they found that tobacco use increases entry points in the lungs for COVID-19. So Mm -hmm. the consensus is in tobacco use is bad. It's always been bad. It always will be bad, especially for your lungs. So now is the best time to quit smoking. Yeah, it's just another good reason. And it makes sense because that virus totally attacks your respiratory system, as does, you know, tobacco use. So it just compounds the danger there. So I'm, I'm glad 
that you shared that with us. Yeah. You know, coming up here will be an annual observance day known as No Menthol Sunday. It happens in May of every year. This year, it'll fall on May 17th. And this is a day that was organized and is led each year by the National African American Tobacco Prevention Network. And what it does is it provides a great opportunity for faith leaders to talk with their congregation members about preventing and using or quit using menthol-flavored tobacco products in general. As we just mentioned, tobacco products are harmful, you know, no matter what kind you're talking about. But menthol has been particularly insidious, especially because they ensnare a higher percentage of younger people and African-Americans. And on that, we will hear from Dr. Adam Alexander. He is a postdoctoral researcher at the OU Health Sciences Center. His current research interests include tobacco prevention and cessation, health disparities, and trauma and tobacco use. And we'll also hear from Theodore Noel, who is the executive director of the Oklahoma City-based nonprofit Guiding Right. And he will speak on the fight against tobacco in the African-American community in particular and the power of role modeling that affects us all. Our third guest today is Sean Pryor, who is an Edmund firefighter, and he has been in the Oklahoma Tobacco Helpline commercials. He's also just kind of become a community activist, and he tells his story about how he was a longtime tobacco user. And uh, as you said, James, you know, I'm talking about role modeling. He talks about his role models and how he intends to be a good role model to his children and to the kids he talks to at school, to the other firefighters that he knows. And it's just, it's just a really great conversation. So we have some really great guests today. I'm excited. You know, I've seen his commercials on TV quite a bit. And he seems like really such a cool guy, you know, just a great guy to hang out with. What was it like talking with him? He's so chill, really down to earth. And uh, it was nice to hear his, his story, you know, and just his yeah. personal perspective on things. And he's had a very interesting life. So it'll, uh, you'll see. We'll see. <laughs> okay. I look forward to hearing it as, as well our, our listening audience. Yeah. That is for sure. Well, I did get to speak with Dr. Adam Alexander and with Theo Noel. First, we'll talk a bit more about No Menthol Sunday, which as I mentioned will be on May 17th this year. And it's a very important day because menthol cigarettes in particular have appeal to younger smokers and African-Americans as well because of the smooth flavoring that makes it easier to smoke, but also menthol tobacco products and other flavor products have been marketed to these groups as well, which the tobacco industry is known for doing. So I had a great conversation about this with Dr. Alexander, and let's listen to it now. Hello. We are here today with Dr. Adam Alexander, a postdoctoral research fellow at the Stevenson Cancer Center's Oklahoma Tobacco Research Center at the University of Oklahoma Health Sciences Center. Welcome, and it's very nice having you here, Dr. Alexander. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Wanted to ask you about the nature 
of your research? What is it that you are studying and what motivated you to go in this direction? Yes, so as you stated, I'm a postdoctoral research fellow at the Oklahoma Tobacco Research Center and there I work with Dr. Kinzer, who's an expert in smoking cessation, especially with the vulnerable populations such as socioeconomically disadvantaged adults. And when I came here, I wanted to continue in that work, but I also developed a focus on African Americans and addressing uh, smoking cessation among African Americans because there's a lot of research out there that shows that African Americans are less likely to quit. So when I came to the Oklahoma Tobacco Research Center, I wanted to explore factors that serve as either barriers or facilitators of smoking cessation, and I've been doing that for two years now. Well, with this podcast, we will be speaking on menthol. We'll also speak on role modeling. But I wanted to ask you, Dr. Alexandra, about menthol, which is, as you know, particularly popular among tobacco users who are young and among African Americans. And just in your research and what you have learned, what is it about menthol tobacco that makes it so particularly dangerous or even insidious? Okay, that's a great point, great point. So, yes, you're right. It's very, very common. Menthol use is very common among African Americans. Around 80% of all African Americans uh, use menthol cigarettes. That's their primary uh, brand or their type of cigarette they prefer to smoke. And when you look at menthol, menthol acts as, as a flavor. It provides cigarettes with a minty flavor. Now, why is that? Well, especially when you look at youth, Nicotine and tobacco itself, it's not a very tasty product. And so what menthol does is it masks that very harsh and unpleasant taste. And so when you see a youth or an African-American young, young man smoke a menthol cigarette, they're usually smoking it just to mask that poor taste of a regular tobacco cigarette. And what you find is that, especially when you look at youth, that African-Americans are specifically sensitive to that bitter taste of tobacco. And when you use menthol, well, you no longer have to deal with that bitter taste. Mm. And so that's also why you see a lot of flavors, or all flavors being banned for youth, because they, tobacco companies know that if we can mask that smell uh, or that taste of tobacco, no, we can hook a young population to, to uh, nicotine. Right. Is it even more dangerous and, because because um, of its, because of that flavoring, do, do people take in bigger puffs with it or anything along those lines? Well, you're, you're exactly, you're onto something right there. That's an important point also as well. Not only is the taste, but menthol has a soothing property. It has a soothing effect on the body. And so, uh, so tobacco, when you smoke it, especially when you smoke tobacco, you're, you're irritating your lungs, you're ir irritating a lot of your organs within the body. And so what menthol does, it, it kind of soothes those organs. So it is possible that you could be taking in more uh, of the harmful toxicants when you're smoking a, a menthol cigarette, which could actually increase your risk of suffering from some tobacco-related illness down the road. So, yes, it, it potentially could be more dangerous and could also explain why you see so many African-Americans suffering disproportionately from certain tobacco-related illnesses, such as lung cancer, stroke, and other diseases. Hmm. Yeah, very important point. Well, in mid-May each year, there is an event called No Menthol Sunday that a lot of faith communities take part in, and there are other menthol events that take place to draw attention to this particular product and what harm it does. 
you spoke to it to the, the danger just a couple minutes ago, but what can you say about such an important event such as No Menthol Sunday? Oh, I think it's a very important day because we we really need to understand as a community, and I think it just as the public needs to understand in general that menthol cigarettes are a different beast from combust, just conventional cigarettes that just contain tobacco. Because it's really masking the dangers, I think, of smoking. I think when people smoke menthol cigarettes, they're not really capturing the degree of the damage they're really doing to their body because the, the menthol, that minty peppermint taste, is, is hiding those dangers. And I think we need the public to understand that you're at the same risk or possibly even greater risk of poor health outcomes when you smoke a menthol cigarette. So I definitely think we need days like No Menthol Sunday, especially when it involves the faith community, because I think the faith community has played a very positive role in our, in our battle to combat the tobacco epidemic. Do you see momentum taking place in which menthol flavoring might actually be banned along with other flavors? So there is a flavor ban in effect, but I think menthol avoided being a part of that ban in this round of regulation. I do think a ban is coming down the road. I, I think that is, it's, it wouldn't say it's inevitable, but I think it, it's something that's very likely in our future. I think there's been there's a lot of public health momentum behind that initiative, and I think in the future we will see a menthol ban for all yeah. uh, tobacco products. Yeah, that would be fantastic. That would be fantastic for sure. Okay, and finally, Dr. Alexander, uh, most everyone knows the, that tobacco is, is harmful, that it's very addictive, but it is by its very nature very hard to quit. And so I wanted to ask you, based on things that you have learned, on what you have studied, anything in particular that you want people to understand going forward that can perhaps help them to quit or the benefit of living a tobacco-free life? I think the first thing I always say when I try to bring hope to people is to tell them that if you're, if you're smoking, no matter the age, if you stop smoking now, you have the opportunity to live a longer and healthier life. There are many free services available to you. If you're living in Oklahoma, especially in Oklahoma City, you can access the uh, Tobacco Treatment Research Program, which is free and available to the public. If you have a phone, you can access the quit line. And these are all great services that will help you become smoke-free. Now, what I do in my research is a lot of times we focus on evidence-based treatments. And evidence-based treatments are great, but they have a broad appeal to a wide variety of people. And we're, and we're realizing, I think slowly but surely, especially as the prevalence of smoking goes down, that there are certain subgroups in America and in Oklahoma that need additional resources and help to quit smoking. And the group I focus on, because it's the group that's closest to me, are African-Americans. I think that uh, African-Americans face certain things more so than other communities, such as discrimination, that needs to be addressed within an intervention. And right now, we're not designing our behavioral interventions for smoke cessation to treat discrimination and other culturally relevant factors that influence smoking because the research is pretty clear from what I read that when you're a victim of discrimination or some significant stressor, you respond to that incident by engaging in, in poor health behaviors, including smoking. And so 
if he really wants to, you know, tackle menthol use and just smoking among African-Americans and other communities, we really have to start looking at those cultural risk factors that influence vulnerable populations. Okay. All right. Thank you for your time, Dr. Alexander. Thank you for having me. All right. It was so good to hear from Dr. Alexander there. He had some very, very good points about what he has found, what he has learned in his research on not only menthol cigarettes, but also health disparities regarding tobacco and other things. Very, very interesting comments. Yeah, it reminds me of one of our first guests that we had on for our first episode, Dr. Amy Cohn. She also talked about the insidious use of flavored tobacco. But I also really appreciate, you know, what he's saying about No Menthol Sunday. And when we look at the church community and our church leaders and talk about role modeling, you know, these are influential people in our communities. And so I'm happy and excited to introduce our next guest, Theodore Noel of Guiding Right, talking about tobacco use in the community level and how the faith community is, is such an influential role model in our communities and what they're doing to combat tobacco use, particularly in African American communities, which are disproportionately targeted by tobacco advertising and frankly preventable deaths. And so let's hear what he has to say about No Menthol Sunday. Okay, we are here today with Theo Noel, the Executive Director of Guiding Right in Oklahoma City. Theo, welcome to the TSET Better Health Podcast. Absolutely, thank you and good morning, James. Thank you. Hey, can you please briefly share with us the work of Guiding Right? Sure, fantastic. Anytime I have an opportunity to talk about the work and scope of Guiding Right, I will always make myself available. So we have a, over a 20-year track record of providing public health services, particularly in Oklahoma City, and primarily focusing on the African-American community. So what we like to say, we have what we call three flagship programs. One, it's a comprehensive prevention program in which we provide confidential HIV counseling and testing, case management for individuals that are high risk for HIV, and also case management for individuals that are actually living with HIV or AIDS. We also have community outreach where we go out into the community and try to provide information about HIV and other sexually transmitted infections. So we're regularly at college universities, local high schools and even local middle schools talking about HIV and other STIs. We're trying to bring it more so in the forefront and just look at HIV as uh, chronic disease instead of the death sentence like it was, oh, you know, 30, 40 years ago. The second flagship program is our Women, Infant, and Children, and that stands for WIC. And it's a nutrition education program for moms and their babies up to the age of five. So there's a lot of prenatal care that goes in with that as well. So making sure that mom will have optimal pregnancy and delivery and provide some nutritious foods for, for their children up to the age of five. And the third flagship program is our tobacco prevention program. And it's under the acronym EMPOWER. And within that, we really work with African-American community and to get those entities, usually businesses, churches, beauty salon, barbershops, to adopt a tobacco-free policy. 
And then within the last couple of years, we really put in there a kind of a total health policy where it's talking about obviously no tobacco, but also physical fitness and nutrition. Oh, very good. Excellent. So at what point along the way did tobacco policies, tobacco prevention and programs become sure. one of Guiding Rights health priorities? Yeah, excellent question. About eight years into our tenure, well, probably about seven years into our tenure, we start seeing trends of heavy tobacco use among pretty much African-American young gay males. And some focus group, we met with key informants, gatekeepers, and basically the results were they were using it as, as a coping mechanism. So and then just general population, just even you'd be amazed at that time, the high percentage of moms actually pregnant and were smoking. I'm like, oh, my God, so it's something that we have to do to address this. And so years into it, we're like, okay, we have to come up with a remedy, at least to something that as an organization that we can do mm-hmm. to, to breathe credence to this and to talk about prevention and totally elimination. I wanted to ask you, you know, Guiding Right and T-Set, we have worked together on ads and articles that expose the ways that tobacco companies try to entice African-Americans to use their products. What have you seen here in Oklahoma in that regard? And how does Guiding Right and others uh, educate people on what's actually going on? Sure, sure. Like you said, James, T-Set and Guiding Right has definitely done some great collaborative work, really relying on the expertise of you guys. But hip-hop industry and, and just hip-hop in general as a culture is really heavy among African-Americans. Mm-hmm. And so what I see with the t- tobacco, large tobacco companies, it's really like a laser focus. is really strategically targeting the hip-hop generation by using, at one point when Cools was real popular, they, they would have hip-hop summits and concerts sponsored by Cools, and they really try to play on words, the, the K-O-O-L, which is cool. I mean, it's, it's a reason why they spend over a million dollars a day just on, on marketing and, and advertising. So it's definitely had its negative impact on African-American communities and, and other poor and marginalizing communities of color. But really the biggest thing that we've seen is really how tobacco companies has used hip-hop just because hip-hop now over 40, 50 years, so it really affects a large segment of the population. Hmm. I see. Now, we're doing this podcast this month because No Menthol Sunday, which is a national faith-based effort to draw attention to the harm of menthol, is coming up in mid-May on May 17th. And I wanted to ask, to your knowledge, what effect has this had here on people in Oklahoma? Well, this No Menthol Sunday is scheduled for May 17th, and obviously in, in the age of COVID-19, it's going to be somewhat a little different as far as the gathering of actual folks with, you know, sitting in the pews. So we're definitely going to have to be a little creative, more so than we have in the past, and using opportunities like this one and, and other social media and different outlets to get the word out about uh, No Menthol Sunday. I'm a member of the Church of Living God, so... And being a champion of no menthol and tobacco free totally in our church who have a, a policy, we've always set aside that Sunday. It was totally focused on the no menthol, what, whatever that theme was having been in that particular year. Like for the theme in 2020, it's awaken. So my pastor was really on board with this, and he would bring a message talking about overall health. And then after his message, I would get up and just read off some, you know, some statistics about. Um, 
tobacco and in particular how how menthol is is so easy to the palate so it's it's highly addictive but even more difficult to get off so those are some of the things that we've done locally in Oklahoma City area. We've worked with you guys in developing strategies and developing, you know, some social media. Social media is so impactful. What you see, you can be influenced by. So yes. in making, you know, and really pushing no menthol, like a lot of kids that are smoking, they don't even know what menthol is. They just know they like it. They know they, they like the feel of the taste when, when they're inhaling, but have no idea what menthol actually is. So once you explain that, and like, <laughs> you really need to be aware of what you're smoking and what you're putting in your body. So and I think that's one of the, the, the biggest takeaways from uh, No Menthol Sunday. Some of those things are, are exposed in the African-American community as well as other communities uh, of color. Faith is, is very important to us. And the cool thing about No Menthol Sunday is just not only deals with Christianity, there, there are some things about Islam uh, in the Jewish community, Catholicism. So there's different faith layers into No Menthol Sunday. So it's just not totally focused on Christianity, although Christianity is a major religion in the North America, of course. Mm-hmm. But the cool thing is it deals with other religions and the importance of a good, clean body, being in optimal health as much as possible. Definitely don't do anything that's putting in your body that can cause you harm to yourself or harm to others. Absolutely. Yeah. Very, very good point. And you mentioned social media. So this is wonderful not only for No Menthol Sunday, but also you can do the, this type of messaging any time of year as well. So hopefully people will That's get right. that message. Yeah. Well, finally, your agency is about community and role modeling, of course, is a major aspect of community. And not just about kids looking up to adults, although that is a humongous part of it, but also sure. how media and culture influences standards that everyone of all ages so how does role modeling fit into the things that you say and do in your tobacco prevention services? Being a former athlete, I really don't like what a lot of professional athletes used to say. Uh, I, I don't, I want, I don't want to be viewed as a role model. Sometimes <laughs> you don't have a, a say so in that uh, just because your stature. And for me, my dad was my role model. So being a father and a husband myself and being a gatekeeper or an ambassador of good health and outcomes in the African-American community, I want to ensure that I am doing, as an individual, everything that I possibly can on a daily basis to exhibit leadership skills to make sure that I'm in optimal health. You're not going to find a picture with me with a cigar in my hand after my daughter was born, even though that was a cool thing to do. You know, you hand out cigars because, you know, you, you have a child. No, you're not going to find me doing that. So. Role modeling is part and partial to all of the programs that we have in the field of public health. Again, we are viewed as the so-called health professionals. So if you are doing something that's going to have a negative impact, you just never know who's watching you. In public health, even when you're off the clock, you're on the clock because it's 24 hours a day and seven days a week. So So true. Needless to say, somebody is always, someone is always (laughs) watching you. And like I said, growing up, You know, my father was my role model, so I like to take some of those same attributes, being a father myself and a husband. I I don't want my 12-year-old daughter. I have to think about, you know, oh, I saw daddy, you know, smoking, so it must be okay for me to do that as well. It transferred into 
our tobacco prevention services that we have here at Guiding Right. Modeling is very important in that. And they see us promoting a smoke-free environment. They see us advocating the, the quit now number. They see us advocating and speaking about No Menthol Sunday or even Kick Butts Day. They see us in the park every Kick Butts Day picking up butts and, you know, putting them into bags. And we try to have young kids out there with us, although that's not our major focus. But we collaborate with James. Oh, gosh, I used to call him the Healthy Living Program back in the day. Yes. Uh, at City, Community yeah, of the City County Health Department. Communities yeah. of Excellence, that's right. We, we collaborate with those guys at City County Health Department and Judith and provide those services as a joint venture doing Kicks Butt Day. So I think that's all a part of role modeling and being a community influencer. Very good. Well, Theo, man, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate your time. We appreciate the work that, that you put in and that your staff puts in to help families and individuals achieve and maintain better health. Thank you, man. Excellent. Thank you, James. Appreciate it. Wow. You know, um, as a health communication consultant at TSED, I've actually had the privilege of working with Theo and his staff at Guiding Right on media and messaging products. So it was really good to talk with him for a few minutes about No Menthol Sunday and other community-based interventions for reducing tobacco use in that community. Yeah, gosh, he seems like such a cool person and what a cool organization. I had never even heard of Guiding Right and they've been around for a while doing really important stuff in the community. Yes, very much so, very much so. The state is very lucky to have that particular agency. Yeah, definitely. He talked about role modeling and such, and I know that, you know, role modeling, of course, is a, a big deal. You know, I remember when I was younger, I'm a bit older than you, <laughs> but when, <laughs> when I was younger, I saw, you know, smoking was allowed in so many, you know, other places. They were allowed in, in places of businesses and grocery stores or wherever else. Even teachers were still allowed to smoke in schools. I remember my, my younger brother, when he was in the second grade, he had a teacher who smoked in the classroom back then. Wow. Um, <laughs> you talk about, <laughs> I know, exactly. Bad health, bad role modeling. But now, because of the changes over time, norms are different. And what seemed to be normal back then now is not. And role modeling has so much to do with that. I cannot imagine one of my high school teachers smoking in the classroom. That's like... What about your second grade teacher smoking in the classroom? Oh, my God, no. (laughs) (laughs) No. My dad was a smoker, and he hid it from me for a really long time. And so... Mm -hmm. But it was funny, one time I caught him, I was really, really young, and I caught him smoking on the porch after he thought I had gone to bed. And I said, don't worry, Dad, I won't tell anyone. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, you were the one I was trying to hide it from. (laughs) Luckily, he quit, and he's he's stayed quit for years. So he's tried to be a good role model for me. Yeah. There are so many role models that we see on TV, that kids see on TV or social media or movies, but no one is a bigger role model than one's own parents and grandparents and caretakers. And you really got to have a great discussion about that. I did. Sean Pryor did. We, he was just so cool and he's a volunteer firefighter and he's been on our Oklahoma Tobacco Helpline commercials for a while. He's been a great advocate and 
he had a very personal story to share about the way he grew up, his parents, his own role models, but then also his transformation and how the helpline really, really helped him. And he's, he said he still calls sometimes when he needs to. And he encourages other people that he knows need help to call. So let's listen to that conversation and then you'll just see what a cool guy Sean is. So we are here today with Sean Pryor, who's been the face of the Oklahoma Tobacco Helpline success story. So hello, Sean. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. How have you been during this pandemic? Yeah, we're good. We're good. I think for the most part, I think I spend a lot of time talking to other firefighters and friends who are going through the same thing and they're at home uh, like I am right now and they're bored and fidgety and they keep thinking about smoking. So I get to keep talking them down and tell them to call the helpline. Wow, that's great. What a way to use your time right now. Because, yeah, I mean, we saw cigarette sales and tobacco sales skyrocket when people started preparing for the pandemic or like stockpiling everything. And so you actually have been using your role here to help people during this pandemic. Yeah, I've really done my best with that. I have a couple of friends who are firefighters out near where I'm a firefighter as well. And we've been having conversations. That ironically is one of the biggest things that they did. And I had to talk them down is that they said, man, I can't find toilet paper, this and that, but I got to get smokes. And they were just starting their quit journey. And I was like, look, call the helpline, but remember, you can always call me, you can vent to me, you can scream at me, you can shout into the phone, I'll take it, whatever you got to do. And so far, they're doing okay. But I know that something that I've said to everybody, dipping is part of our culture. And so getting guys to quit dipping or just as they get over that hump to quit, you know, that urge when you're bored and there's nothing going on and it's quiet and you're alone. Oh my gosh. So yeah, it's been a blessing to have the opportunity to be able to help others to try to keep from doing it, even if it's just to like meet and stand six feet away from each other and say, quit it, don't do that, you know, which I've actually done. <laughs> wow, that's great. That's great that you can help people like that. So, always in recovery, right? Always in recovery, oh. man. A, a smoker, a dipper, always, always. Yeah, well, and especially, when, you know, in times of uncertainty, everyone flocks to those comforts that have been there in the past, mm -hmm. even though it could be completely destructive, but it's something familiar, so understandable. So, Sean, let's back up. Tell us a little bit about you. Tell us your story. You said you're a firefighter. Well, so I would love to tell the story. I love it. So you, me and my smoking story, we go back years and years ago. I am originally born and raised in Chicago, Illinois. My mom used to smoke. My mom loved to go down to the corner store, pick up a pack of smokes. I used to see her do it, obviously, constantly as a kid. I didn't start smoking until I was about 17 years old here in Oklahoma. I started smoking, as embarrassing as this is, by uh, picking cigarette butts out of a bank off of Northwest Expressway and 63rd because I wasn't old enough to buy them. So me and my buddies used to sneak over there and we'd steal the little snipe cigarettes and we'd smoke them because we thought we were cool. I know that's terrible, but you know. And that was kind of my introduction to smoking. And I mean, I smoked for years and years. I started dipping probably when I was about 25. And then I would smoke with a dip in, and I did that for many, many years. At about the age of 35, I had a heart attack. It's funny, in the days prior to, I just knew I didn't feel good. You know, I felt rough. I had a heart attack alone in my apartment by myself. The next day, I go to the hospital, which I was blessed to survive, found out that I had hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, which is a long way of saying I have an enlarged heart. And I had a hardening of my heart, kind of around it, almost like a calcification, if you will. So my heart beats harder, and it has to work harder to get that blood flowing around my body. 
And as I talk to you, I actually have a implant in my chest right now as we have this conversation. And so, of course, post that, I quit. Totally quit smoking. You know, I knew I had to. I was afraid. And so I was good for about a year and a half. I was able to recover from the heart attack and started to look at the fire service. And so I got into the fire service, managed to pass all the physicals and everything, went through academy. And as I started going through and, you know, I'm on call, stuff like that, I'm seeing things I haven't seen before, and I start dipping because everybody around me dips. I decided I'm going to start smoking. And at first I tried to hide it from my family, but I just kept, you know, finally it was just part of my normal, and I started smoking and dipping again. And between my son coming to me and saying, Dad, you know, please, you've had a heart attack. You've almost died. You know, stop. And knowing that it didn't make any sense for a guy that's had a heart attack in his, I mean, I'm 38 years old now. <laughs> He's about to be 39. You know, it, it makes no sense. So I went to the doctor, and after a conversation, he told me about the Oklahoma Tobacco Helpline. I was like, what is this? I wasn't interested in help. So I was like, I'm not weak. I don't need this. And I ended up calling you guys and got tons of help. And here I am now, I'm coming up on a year uh, without smoking, no intent to look back, and it's been outstanding. Wow. That's great. So the helpline, I mean, that literally contributed directly to your ability to quit. There's a line in that commercial that they use, and I, I will say it again to you right now, that the Oklahoma Tobacco Helpline was instrumental in my success. I mean, absolutely instrumental. You guys gave me a tool that I didn't have. And I tell people all the time, and some people, they hate to hear it, but I always say, we are in recovery. I realize it's not alcohol, it's not drugs, but it is, because it's our vice, it's what we know. You know, there's so many times we can think of as smokers or as guys that dip. It was our comfort in a situation. And so you're always recovering. You know, it's always something that you might slip. It's always something, you know, that you're always trying to beat, I guess. You know, it's your demon. So... How has your life changed since you quit? Well, first, I'd like to say that my son revealed to me that kids were making fun of him because he smelled like cigarettes. And so that's changed in that I didn't know him and my clothes smelled because I couldn't smell it. <laughs> so that, that's a big change and a positive for him. But mostly, I would say health-wise, a lot of my heart muscle, while it will never go back to the way that it should be, is my heart is functioning at a higher level. So I think they said it's something like 88 89%, which is outstanding when you've had a heart attack. Also, I can breathe better. I feel better. I don't get winded in the course of a conversation. There's just so many things that have become so much better health-wise for me. My breath doesn't stink. <laughs> the little things we take for granted. So, yeah. So I just saw here that you used some money that you had saved on tobacco to put down payment on a car? That is 100% true. I was so proud of that. Sitting in my driveway right now is my Camaro. I know I'm going to get flack for this, but I am a huge Texas Longhorn fan. And I always <laughs> wanted a burnt orange Camaro. Always have. So I literally, literally kept taking the money that I would have spent on my cigars and my tobacco, and we have this bucket that just sits here in the corner, and I was just tossing the money into it. And I didn't know what I was going to do with it, but I just kept piling it up. At one point, we checked, and it was up to something like 850 bucks, but no joke. It was insane. And I was wow. like, dude, I was like, we got to celebrate. We got to do something. Well, at the time, my vehicle that I'd had for years was kind of acting up, and I was like, you know what? I should buy a car. And... Lo and behold, here we are. So best purchase I've made. I love it. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> That's a great way to yeah. spend yeah. spend your money on something that is not going to be bad for your health. Well, it's an, I guess, yeah. 
yeah. <laughs> you made the speed limit. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, did you have any role models in your life who smoked or used tobacco? My mom. My mom. She. Uh, I, I tell you, he, I, it's almost embarrassing when I say this. My mom has had four heart attacks. My mom has 22% heart function currently. She's alive. But my mom had me in high school. So if I'm 39, my mom is 50. My mom's not even 60. I mean, she's in her 50s. And yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, this, 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 is, this is a story, unfortunately, of systemic tobacco use, you know. And like I say, just not taking care of ourselves like we should. But my mom has been my role model my whole life, you know. And I love my mom. My dad was not a part of my life. She was it. So she was great. And seeing her smoke was normal. She tried to hide it at first when we were young. Then as we got older, she just kind of just smoked. And I thought it was normal. I always wanted to sneak her cigarettes, but I never did. But it was just part of the culture, I guess. It was just what it was. Mm-hmm. And so that had an impact on you as far as? I would definitely say as far as my decision-making to become a smoker, it made me feel far more comfortable to smoke. It made me feel fine with it. And especially when I knew that at 17, I could be a smoker. I could come home and my mom wouldn't smell it because she smoked. So she wouldn't even notice. And that made me feel more comfortable with it, which is unfortunate. All right. Well, I'm glad that your mother is doing well. So what does it mean to you then to be a role model to your son and to others as someone who does not smoke, someone who's quit smoking? You're not the first person to ask me this. And I say that because my kids' school had me come and talk to them about this because of the commercial and they saw it. And we had a, we, they, however you want to put it, had a problem. Kids, he was in fifth grade this past year. They busted, I want to say, in his class alone, five kids that brought vapes to school. And they knew it was an issue. And at first, I guess, when they approached me, because I'm super involved in school, you know, they approached me with it and they were like, look, you know, and they were like, I know this is weird, but I usually do like the fire program, you know, and all that. And they were like, did you talk to them about not smoking? And they were like, more not vaping than anything. You guys, by the way, were instrumental in that as well. Uh, sent me a bunch of stuff to take to the kids. So thank you. Uh, <laughs> I was able to leave them with some materials. Yeah. And I was able to talk to them. And it's one of those things, you know, as far as being a role model, that's something that we talked about is I asked them, I said, you know, how many of you guys know someone that vapes? And I would say 65% of the class raised their hands. And it's people that they look up to. So it's hard because I see myself in that. You know, when I was a kid, my mom, you know, she smoked and it was normal. So it's so important for us as parents, as adults, just to make sure that we're going out of our way to make sure that we're showing these kids. You don't have to do this to be cool. And just because the vape smoke, you know, it goes away real fast. You know, that doesn't mean that it's acceptable. It's not, it's not cool. So I know that they said that it got better after the talk. It didn't stop. It's again, like I said, it's a fight. You know, I mean, here we are with kids that are 10, 11 years old who are now addicted to vapes. So it's a new, new fight. But you know, yeah, being a role model means keeping that fight going. This isn't a war that we're going to win here today or tomorrow or next week. We got to dig our heels in and we got to fight for it. So just changing your own behavior can impact the generations of people. That's something that I find really profound as role modeling. You know, 100% truth. Again, with myself as a case in point, I have my mom who has a heart problem. I have a heart problem. And unfortunately, you know, my son may be predisposed to having a heart problem as well. And he can be the one to break the cycle. He can be the one that says, okay, here I am on third generation. I can say no to smoking. I can say, no, I don't want this tobacco in my life. And he can be the one that starts that new healthy chain. It just takes one. Mm -hmm. Well, so what would you like to say 
to people who haven't quit yet but might need some inspiration? I would say what I wish somebody would have said to me years ago, don't be ashamed. Know that it's hard and know that you will falter. There's going to be times where you're going to screw up. There's going to be a time after that Thanksgiving meal where you're super full and you're like, oh, my gosh, I just got to have a smoke. There's going to be moments. But when you set it in your mind and when you believe in yourself and when you know I'm ready, it's time. And to, I would say to anyone, use the tobacco helpline. Please call the helpline. Find me on Facebook and message me. I don't care. Find someone. Get an accountability buddy. Call the helpline, though. Use them. I know I've done it before. I called as recently as just a few months ago. I mean, it, it's, it's nothing to be ashamed of. And I know I'm a big guy. I'm a firefighter. I mean, I'm a lot of things to a lot of people. But I also know that I'm not too tough. I'm not too strong to say I need help. So I think that's probably the biggest thing is just knowing you can admit that you just need a hand and that it's acceptable. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It's, like I said earlier, we are always in recovery as former smokers. And it's just something that sometimes we just have to reach out. Don't be ashamed. I have one more question. What is it specifically about the helpline that you found so helpful to you? No judgment. No judgment is my favorite thing. You know, when you call your buddy, depending on who your buddy is. You, know, you call your buddy, you call your friend, you call your sister, your mother, and you say to them, man, I really want to smoke. They, depending on if they have that enabling personality, they might say, well, just have one. It's okay. Or they may say, man, stop. You know, they may cuss at you and be like, dude, you're wasting my time, whatever. But you know, with the helpline, you're not going to get that. With the helpline, you're always going to get somebody who's going to be like, look, I understand. I've been there. And someone is going to give you that conversation that you need even if you just need to have a sounding board so you can complain, they'll take it and then they'll help you. Um, I would say that's probably the biggest thing is just, you know, there is no judgment there. It's almost like you have a random friend that you can call that's just going to be there. That's really great insight. Thank you so much, Sean, for being with us today and sharing your experience. We really appreciate it. And a lot of us really need it right now. So thank you for what you do. Hey, thank you so much for giving me, uh, I mean, this has been a true blessing. Like I say, you guys have been a blessing to me. You guys have given me a platform to be able to share this with so many people, strangers, et cetera, and I thank you. Okay, you were right. Sean is a great guy. I really enjoyed listening to the conversation. He sounds just so committed to telling others about the benefit and health of quitting tobacco. That was great. Yeah, it was, it was really cool because... I mean, quitting tobacco not only changed his life for the better with regard to his health, but it also really gave him like a passion and a, a new direction to help other people quit. And so mm -hmm. that's always really nice to hear. And especially when he got so much benefit from the helpline, which has helped thousands of people like Sean. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, <laughs> if people can get free lozenges and gum and free coaching, text messages, all kinds of things, Kate. Yeah, I think it's crazy. I mean, we have all this right here and you can call 1-800-QUIT-NOW or you can go to okhelpline.com, whatever you're more comfortable with. If you wanna to talk to someone over the phone, they're there. If you wanna chat with someone over the internet, they're there. If you wanna get two weeks free supply of lozenges and gum and patches, you can get them shipped to you. It's crazy. It's just, it's such a great resource. And like he said, 
he said there's no judgment there there's just the person who all they want to do is just help you quit and help you improve your life that's a really remarkable service that's such a good point i mean a lot of people they who may be using tobacco who really want to quit they know that it's not good for their health and and you know they know this already they don't need to feel like they're being judged you know they just want help yep. no judgment right and as you mentioned uh, earlier in the podcast, you know, with the pandemic going on, with the coronavirus going around, it really does add another reason to quit tobacco. It's hard. It's really hard. But the, the resources are there. The support is there. And, and it's great to hear people like Sean who are so passionate about it, too. Yeah, well, just acknowledging that whether you like it or not, you are a role model kids, grandkids, students, neighbors, you are a role model. And so your behavior does impact the people around you. And if you're taking this pandemic seriously, you know, you are taking your health seriously. Now is the absolute perfect time to quit tobacco and you can have a ripple effect on those around you. Yeah, good point. You know, uh, we are very happy to observe No Menthol Sunday coming up. And there are other tobacco holidays throughout the year. Great American Smokeout, World No Tobacco Day will be at the end of this month on May 31st and other days. So those days come and go, and they give us great reasons to quit. And the coronavirus, of course, is another great reason to quit. But we will get through this pandemic. It will get better. It really will. But one thing that won't change is how we are as role models. We want to be our best for our kids, our grandkids, for other people who, who see us, who look up to us. And so from role modeling standpoint, there's always a, yet another good reason, no matter what day it is, to reach out and get help if we need it. I enjoyed this podcast, Kate. What did you think? Yeah, I did too. It was fun and learned about cool people doing cool things, cool organizations. Yeah, had a blast. Thanks, James. Absolutely. And with that, we do want to thank Dr. Adam Alexander and Theo Noel and Sean Pryor for their time and their information and their insights. And we are always so very thankful to you, our podcast listeners. Thank you. And so until next time, this is James Tyree. And Kate Howell. Wishing you peace. And better health. <laughs>